Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today is our great blessing to have one of the most talented conservatives we've ever had on the podcast, Andrew Clavin. Andrew is a prolific, best-selling author of fiction and nonfiction books. He's also a screenwriter, an essayist, and a podcaster on the popular Daily Wire platform. All right, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. That's yeah, great to be here. Thanks. So I would consider you the classic high-functioning human. You have you you too, book after book. It's you've got full-time jobs, essayist, podcaster. You know, what, tell us about how you how you manage all this. Where do you find the time to do all these things? You know, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of Raymond Chandler. He had a big effect on my life and on my work. And one of the things that Raymond Chandler, great, he's a great American mystery writer, obviously. And uh, one of the things he uh, wrote about, he said that you should, a writer should give four hours a day when he does nothing but write. And he said, you don't have to write, but you can't do anything else. Uh, and I took that advice very seriously when I was 14 years old and I started doing that uh, every day, whether I was in school or not, whatever else I was doing. Uh, and it, it actually gave me a lot of discipline. And so I maintained that throughout my entire life. I wake up very early in the morning and I don't sleep much. And, uh, and I get to work, and for four hours at least, I don't do anything but write. And uh, that has worked out very well for me. Wow. Well, that explains it then. But you would have to, like what you just said, though, you don't get a lot of sleep, too. So you got to be, you gotta be <laughs> prepared for that side of it, too. But that's yeah. the old uh, the Malcolm Gladwell, right, 10,000 hours. You do four hours a day, you're going to get to 10,000 pretty quick. And so you're, you're good at what you do, obviously, <laughs> and that's, that's a huge contributing factor. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. No, it really has worked out well. Yeah, yeah, Great for advice. sure. So, um, so culture. So you do a lot of commentary on the culture. It's it's uh, it's one of my favorite topics because I think it's the, I think it's the most important thing that's that's happening now. And in this in this age that we're in, I think I know from from my generation, I think we kind of took a lot of it for granted growing up, especially politically and just how things were kind of steady for decades. And now it's it's all up in the air, and so. Talk, talk to you. What's your take on the culture now? And, and how do you uh, give advice to conservatives on how to how to deal with the situation we're in and, and what's the best thing they can be doing at this point? Well, the culture is really in a, in a low point. And when I say that, I'm talking about the arts, but also I think the general culture, which is the way we live and the things we think and those things are related. Uh, the the woke revolution has destroyed the movies, publishing, music. Uh, I think that right now it's very hard to find anything that's worthwhile, especially if it's made by young people. Uh, they now have staffing rules in Hollywood where you have to have 40 to 50 percent minorities in the room. Uh, no, everybody is afraid to speak their minds, to say what they really think. Uh, you know, you can just be canceled like that. And so what you're getting is this very stale imitation culture. It's not really the arts at all. And the grand days we had for a while, uh, the golden age of TV that we had when we had The Sopranos and The Shield and The Wire and one great show after another, uh, th those days are gone. And they're not going to come back until uh, we on the right start to contribute to the culture and start to compete. We're not going to change their minds. We're not going to change their business. We've got to start building our own businesses and compete. And the problem that conservatives have with the culture, with the arts a lot of times, is they don't understand that conservative art doesn't look like conservative life. I live a conservative life. I'm a happily married, devoted husband, devoted family guy, hard worker, as you said, all those things. But nobody wants to read about that. That's not what makes a story. A story is Macbeth. The story is murder. A story is adultery. A story is, is the things that we do that expose the human heart. 
and those make for exciting stories and also for uh, stories of depth. If every story is going to be a sort of Christian candy land uh, where everything works out well because we have faith and even if you die, you go straight to heaven, it's great. We're not going to be able to make good art. We're not going to be able to make art that looks like life. The, the founders of, of this country were not watching Doris Day movies. They were reading Medea, they were reading Shakespeare, they were reading Sophocles, and that's how they had that deep, deep knowledge of the human heart that helped them to build a system in which our sins could actually work in our favor because we had all these power structures fighting with one another. So conservatives have got to loosen up. They've got to understand that the arts are not a place of certainty. They're a place of experimentation, of culture criticism, uh, of all the things that the arts have always done because if we don't contribute to the arts and if we don't show people the reality of who people are, this continual drumbeat uh, that we can change our our uh, sex that we by just by thinking uh, that we that there is no moral order, uh, that there's no moral light, that there's no penalty for crossing the moral boundaries. All those things that the left has been selling for 50 or 60 years are going to become what people think is true, and it's going to be ruinous. Oh, and that's a great point you made about this concept of if we're going to get involved in this. There's there's certain battles we're not going to win, like in terms of people, we're not going to convince. You said that it's like you have to recognize that we just have to get into it. And it's not the end all of like one day everybody's going to say, oh, you guys are right. and We're all going to change. You have to participate. Right. And and, right. and that point that you made, this is a really great point about the founders recognize. Obviously, we live in a fallen world. And so you have to take that into account. You can't, it's not all going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies all the time, no matter what you do. And so you have to be prepared for that and live in it. Conservatives know this when they're watching old stuff, because conservatives by nature like old stuff. So right. if they're watching King Lear and the guy's eyes are put out on stage, they don't even blink. But if they're watching The Sopranos and they say, why all the bad language and violence? Well, because they're, it's dealing with mobsters and that's the way they are. And that's going to tell us more about the human heart than a, a Doris Day movie. You're making me feel nothing, a lot better. Nothing, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're making, start yeah, right, right. You're making me feel a lot better about watching Breaking Bad twice. You know, so uh, exactly. Like, well, uh, exactly. A terrific show. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I'm from New Mexico, so I kind of I, I relate to the whole thing too. So, so uh, you're a, you're this prolific writer, uh, lots of fiction and nonfiction. So, just talk us through in your four hours a day or more. How does that workflow, uh, what does it look like when you're doing fiction versus nonfiction? What, speak to that difference there. Well, usually what I try to do is I try to do different parts of a project at a time. So if I'm writing uh, one thing, I might research something else uh, because it's just too much to write through, uh, through an eight-hour day. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I love writing fiction. Last year, I guess it was, because of the lockdown, all my speeches and appointments were canceled. And I actually wrote two short books, but two books nonetheless. And one was nonfiction and one was fiction. And the nonfiction was just completely immersive. Uh, it was a very, very powerful spiritual uh, experience. I'm, it was a book about, uh, you know, reading poetry and the Gospels. And that's going to come out in April. It's called The, the Truth and Beauty. And that's going to come out. And then the other book was just so much fun. I love writing fiction. I love telling stories. Uh, I love writing uh, the crime novels that I write. And so there is a, a kind of different energy to it. Um, I, I have to usually do uh, some very, very big rewrites on my nonfiction. I have a tendency to throw every idea onto the table. Uh, my wife comes in, rolls her eyes, and just cuts out half the book most of the time. Uh, whereas with, with fiction, I've gotten a little bit more expert over the years. I've done a lot of it. 
uh, and I can usually get nail it pretty quickly, uh, or at least know that I've gone off the rails. So it's, it is very different. It's very different. I, I love them both, but it, it's 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 slower to do nonfiction because of all the research involved. Well, and you got like the you got the wife factor. You got a the good wife. wife. Is, right, <laughs> you got a wife that comes in and says, "No, we're not. Don't do that." <laughs> right. I have I have the best writer's wife since Dostoevsky. I mean, <laughs> right. Without her, without her, I would be living in a dumpster. That's wife. great. Yeah, maybe next podcast we'll have her on instead of you. <laughs> <laughs> good idea. We'll, we'll get we'll get it. Uh, we'll get we'll we'll bring her, we'll bring her in for sure. So, all right. Um, so uh, this book, I haven't. I, I must confess, I haven't read it, but it's. Uh, so I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. So you're the blessed, of, the, the most blessed of all people in my mind, a messianic Jew. So you've got this book, uh, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. So yeah. love to hear about that, how it was received, the story there. Oh, it's been, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. It came out, I, I don't know, six or seven years ago, and it's still selling quite well. I'm still uh, getting um, a lot of people who, who call me, uh, and say, who write me and say that it has moved them to seek for God in a, in a new way. And I think one of the things that's so appealing to people about it is it's a 35-year journey. I was 49 when I came to Christ. And so I, I went down every possible false road you can go down. I've sometimes, you know, finding uh, God made me so happy and finding Christ made me so joyful. I sometimes turned to God kind of accusingly and said, why'd you let me take so long? I know I'm a Jew, but why did I have to wander 40 years in the wilderness before you brought me into the promised land? And I think the reason he wanted to do that, yeah, he wanted wanted me to explore every wrong philosophy. Mm. And I think that it has been very moving to people because they see themselves. And it's so funny because I get letters all the time from people who say, you know, our lives are exactly the same. You know, I'm from Minnesota and I grew up a Presbyterian and you're from the East Coast. And you grew up too, but our lives are exactly the same. And I think that that's the effect of, of having done so much wrong uh, that anybody can recognize uh, my path and their path. And, and it's been really gratifying to have that happen. Yeah, that's wonderful. And that comment you made about why did it take so long? That prayer. I was I was 31 when I came to Christ and I've kind of same yeah. thing. Uh but I also know, you know, you read how God dealt with the Jews and, you know, in Deuteronomy, hey, you wandered for 40 years, but you didn't, you didn't, uh, your feet didn't swell, you, your sandals didn't wear out, you didn't go hungry. So isn't it the same kind of thing, though? You look back, you, you think, God, I made all these mistakes, but God was still taking care of you along the way. You know, one of the strangest things that happened when I finished my uh, memoir, The Great Good Thing, was I looked at it and I thought, Oh, like God was so obviously there, almost present. I mean, there were puns. There were people whose names were Christian who moved in. You know, just all all throughout, there was all this kind of uh, messaging going on. I didn't see it all until I wrote the book. And I thought, like, oh, what an idiot, you know. <laughs> he's, you know, he's kind of slapping me around. And I'm going, what is, what is that? I don't know. But, it, but it's, a, it's a lot more obvious in retrospect. That's great. That's great. That's good to hear. Well, uh, sounds like a great book. I'm definitely going to uh, take a run at it. Um, okay, so uh, COVID and the handling of this crazy pandemic. It's been, you know, you were talking a minute ago about how so much got canceled in your life last year. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we're getting to a, a place where we're moving on. But, uh, you know, speak to your overall impressions of the pandemic and then uh, especially the angle of do you think we were too compliant in general as we went through this thing? Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, it, I think it took us by surprise in the sense that when it started, we didn't know anything, you know, and when you don't know anything, that's very frightening. We know there can be a terrible 
a plague and people can die and especially uh, vulnerable people can die. And so at first when they said they were talking about 15 days uh, to make sure that the hospitals don't over get overwhelmed, uh, that all made sense to me. I was not uh, worried about that. Friends of mine said to me, you know, once you give the government that kind of power, then never give it back. They were right. I was wrong. We should have worried right away. The constant, constant drumbeat of fear, uh, especially from the news media, which has just been absolutely shameful. And one of the most shameful moments of the news media, to my mind, was when Trump uh, got sick and he came out and he said, look, don't be afraid. Don't let it dominate your life. All the news people were like, that's a horrible thing to say. Of course, you should be afraid. Of course, you should let it dominate your life. Well, no, no, this is not, not it. You know, like so, there are you know, death is there for us all. We're all going to die. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die now. But you have to live. You have to live. I just stopped after a while. I retired from the pandemic. Uh, I got my vac vaccines. I believe in the vaccines. I don't believe in mandates, but I do believe that the vaccines were a good thing. And then I thought, I'm done. I'm just done. And in that time, I saw my grandson take his first steps. I saw, you know, uh, my, I went to my son's engagement party. I saw all these things that were life to me. And to tell me I should have missed those because I might get sick is to tell me that there's nothing more to life than being alive. And that's insane. And so that what I'm really, dis I'm disappointed in two things. I'm disappointed in the number of Americans who are not just hiding behind their masks and indoors, but are insisting that everybody else hide too, insisting that somehow it's selfish to live your life. I'm really disappointed in them, and I am super disappointed. I got to tell you, Colin, I'm super disappointed in the church. And when I say that, I mean the mystical church. I'm, I'm uh, disappointed in the churches that shut down, that said the government had the right to tell them not to worship. I'm disappointed, especially for Catholics, by the way, who depend on getting the body and blood of Jesus Christ from their priest. Uh, you know, they just went home. They just went home. And it was as if they, they themselves did not believe in the things that they were preaching. And I was really uh, disappointed in that. And I, I think that it has revealed a lot of weakness, a lot of fear, a lot of materialist assumptions that if we die, everything's over and therefore life, you know, is, is the only thing there is. Um, it's been it's been a a sad incident. And the one thing that has saved us in this country is federalism. Uh, the fact that Ron DeSantis can run a, a country, uh, run a state uh, with common sense while New York goes down the drain. And that is just a good, that's the experiment, the laboratory of freedom where we can see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And that's why we're not Australia. Thankfully, yep. you watch those that's guys. Right. I mean, that's what happens. It's like a state and they got yep. complete control um, I couldn't agree more too on that comment you were making about the about the church, and I, I one of the things I uh, talk to friends about and also pastors as well is letting the government encroach way too much on the church just in general. You know, you get the you know everybody's afraid for their five hundred one c three status now. Uh, Christian schools, we had some of this going on right here where we are outside of Chicago. Where it's like, well, the Christian schools, they didn't they didn't play along exactly with mask mandates and everything else. And so immediately the state is like, well, we're going to pull your accreditation and all this stuff. So we have this extreme mixing now in different ways of the church and the government. And I think it was on full display when the government says everybody, including the churches, you got to do this. And they just went along with it. It was I agree yeah. with you. It was very disappointing. It really was. And it made you feel, I mean, what we believe in is supernatural in the sense that there is nature and then there's something above nature where the moral uh, universe is taking place. And it was as if they just had ceased to believe in that and had ceased to see themselves as outside 
the world as something as an alternative to the world. And I think that that's the effect of power. I think that the church in this country had power for so long that they got used to it. Uh, they want to be relevant. I, I go by churches that have Black Lives Matter signs and gay pride signs up there. And my feeling about that is, hey, believe whatever you want to believe. But do not tell me that the latest political mo movement is what the Gospels are all about. Uh, you know, just you can believe you can have any politics you want, but do not tell me that the Gospels uh, are endorsing that po political stance because that is not offering an alternative to the world. That's becoming the world. And I fear very much that many, many, many American churches have done that. Yeah, it's, it becomes the crossover into that relevancy, like what you're talking about, which is oftentimes code for, hey, we got to grow the church and we got to get more money in here. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, uh, I just say, you know, do what God wants you to do. He'll grow it if, if he wants it to grow. And, there you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, to, that's, that's, the, that's bingo. That's the uh, right answer. Stick yeah. to the plan. Yeah, stick to the plan. So, um, so you got your Friday podcast on Daily Wire, the Andrew Clavin Show. So you, I would say you're not the garden variety conservative with the talking points. You know, you've got your own style and everything. So just talk us through how you would describe your podcast and, and you know, the format and, and how you how you get your enjoyment out of doing it the way you do it. Yeah, no, I love doing it, especially now. Now it's once a week. It's it's been much more. Uh, it's a. I think it's a really rich show. I you know I'm really pleased with with what I'm doing. What I try to do is I try to take a look at the the gray areas and the big the big picture. I I'm not into. Uh, you know I, I make fun of the left all the time, and it, now they've gotten so crazy they're easy to make fun of. But I'm not making fun of the people who vote for Democrats. I understand that they have their choices and they have their points of view, and it only serves the powerful for us to hate one another. Black and white, men and women, gays and straight, it only serves the powerful if we're at each other's throats. Uh, and Americans are so much more tolerant and so much more open-minded than our news media, our academies, and our politicians. So what I try to do is just put everything in a real-life context. Uh, yeah, is there right and wrong? Yes. But is everything black and white? Uh, are we always on the right side? Is everything we think right? No. And do we need to be angry all the time? No, we don't. So I try to look at things. Uh, first of all, I try to point out that things are kind of hilarious. I mean, you know, corruption is, is funny in a way because uh, the human, we were made to be like the angels, but we're such clowns that it's kind of like, you know, watching history is like watching a guy in a tuxedo fall into a mud puddle. It's just funny, you know? <laughs> and so I, I, I try and keep that, that uh, very much in the forefront. I always say we're laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. But I also try to remind people that it's not enough to point out that the other guy is a jerk. You have to be saying something. You have to be offering a vision of life. It doesn't have to be a plan. It doesn't have to be a bill. It doesn't have to be a law. It has to be a vision of how it, what it means to live and what it means to live in love and what it means to live in joy. Because if, if politics is going to make you angry all the time, if it's just going to make you sour, uh, if, if it's just going to turn you into a, a, a kind of Twitter raving, you know, uh, lunatic, don't do it. Don't do it. Do something else. Think of something else because you should be, this is it. This is our life. You know, there's a life to come, but this is the life here. You want to be, uh, joyful. And when I say joyful, I don't mean happy, uh, because sometimes sad things happen. What I mean is invested in life and believing in life. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the thing I'm trying to get across. I, I talk about the culture. I talk about the arts. I talk about, uh, politics too, but all of it in the context of what your life is supposed to be like. Uh, so that so that people are just not waking up every day 
and thinking, you know, I know, I know you know how conservatives talk. Conservatives are always saying, it's over. It's done. Forget <laughs> it. We're done. We're toast. It's finished. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we've been saying that for like almost 300 years now. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe there's another another day. Yeah, maybe we'll be okay. That's a great point. And I think yeah. that you're just calling people back to a place where we used to get too easier. I, I think that this time we live in with the with the technological boom, you know, I always say, we got to put our phones down, turn the TV off, go back to church, you know, turn back to God, you know, get back to the reality. And I think that's what you're drawing people to. It's like, hey, you know, life is not supposed to be this rage machine that you feel all the time. It's just, it's supposed to be some good, lots of good, you know, some some good funny yep. moments and, and, and they're out there. And I, and I like what you're saying too, and, and this is something I've always said about the political side at least, is that when they cross that Rubicon and they just get ridiculous, it's time to ridicule the policies. And you know, that's a, and that's, <laughs> yeah. you're good at that, right? And that's why I like the death of comedy and all that's going on right now. I'm like, oh no, we can't do that because we have to have this space in here where it's just so great once they get to this place, you don't even really have to like make a policy argument anymore. I mean, it's good to have a good alternative policy, but you can just be like, look at this thing. Let's all ridicule it together and laugh at it together. It, and it is it is really funny. I mean, sometimes, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a writer, not a performer. So sometimes even when I read my own material on the air, I, I crack myself up because <laughs> because they're so nuts. I mean, they're so right. the stuff they, they believe, uh, the stuff they're trying to teach our kids. It's so nuts. And I, I think all of that stuff falls apart in the long run. You just want to fall, to fall apart sooner rather than later. Yeah, but that's yeah, right. listen. You know the thing. The thing about life is sometimes it is tragic. Sometimes it's it's great, but it's it's always beautiful. And I think that the, you can forget that very easily when you're screaming at the guy across the aisle. Yeah, that's right. Gift from God. If you're going to live the way He wants you to live, you got to think about it the right way and, and live out right. live it out daily. Well, hey, I really admire all your work, and it's a lot of work. So, like I said, I, that's that's it's amazing. It's it's really good what you do, and and really appreciate you coming on today. We'll keep track of everything that you're doing. Look forward to the next, what was the name of the next book you've got coming out, you said? It's called It's called The Truth and Beauty. It's out in April and you can pre-order it now, which is very helpful if, if you feel like it. Uh, it's oh, a really, yeah. It's yeah. really different. We'll really do that, book. we do that. We got, uh, we got podcast books floating around here a lot. <laughs> Send them out to our friends too. So, all right, good. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Andrew. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure, thanks a lot. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting FIRST RIGHT to 30161. That's FIRST RIGHT, all caps, one word, to 30161.